0: Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for today and for the honor it is to come before to hear your word. We thank you, Lord, that Pastor Tommy is getting some well-needed rest and we ask that you would be with him. Lord, this morning, as John the Baptist said, he must become greater and I must become less. We come here today as your people simply to hear your word. We don't come to hear me But we come here to see, God, what is it that you want to communicate to us, your people? As you said also, Lord, you said, who is sufficient for these things? Every time we come to hear your word, no one is worthy to preach the things of you. But yet it is by your grace that we can come and we can hear what it is you want to say to us, your people. And so, Lord, this morning, I simply ask that you would help me. I ask that you would help us as we see what it is to love one's neighbor. What does it look like to love those who are different than us? What does it look like to love those who are in a different economic class? What does it look to love people who talk different than us? And I pray, Lord, today that you would help us as we continue our series in the book of Micah, and you would help us to see how much you care about the way we treat and love our neighbor. We ask this, Lord, in your heavenly name. Amen. It was Spider-Man's Uncle Ben who said, with great power comes great responsibility. Again, Spider-Man's Uncle Ben said, with great power comes great responsibility. And oh, what a Power and responsibility the nation of Israel had with what God had commanded them to do. It was, in fact, God who said to Isaiah that Israel was to be a light to the nations, to the surrounding culture, and to the surrounding nations around them. It was to be Israel who was to show them what it was like to live before God, their maker, what it was to not only know God, but what it was to live before God in a holy and righteous way. And so it is here in our text today where we see the ultimate and utter failure of God's people to do that very thing. So as we go through our text today, the thing that you will see is that the way that we treat our neighbor truly matters. The way that you and me live our lives, the way that we leave our church, the way we treat those around us, God very much cares the way in which we treat our neighbor. We will see this today as we go through Micah 2 first in the judgment against God's people in verses 1 through 5. Then we will see the rebellion of God's people in verses 6 through 11. And then we will close with the restoration of God's people in verses 12 through 13. But before we begin, Micah 2, it's important that we first look at the history of Israel. Where has God's people been? Where do we come from as we get into Micah 2? First, we see God calls Israel. Abram which will later be called Abraham we see in Genesis 12 that God comes to Abraham and he tells him he says go to the land that I will show you and I will make you a great nation and it is in the book of Genesis where we start to unfold and we start to see God make for himself a covenant people and we see God make for himself a great name. It is then in the book of Exodus, Exodus 1, in fact, where we see that um, Pharaoh rises to power and it says that he neither knew Joseph or his fathers. And he, in fact, now takes this great nation and enslaves them into slavery. And in fact, goes on for 430 years. God's people in slavery and bondage And in fact, we we move on in the book of Exodus and we see in Exodus 3 that God tells Moses, he says, the cries of my people have reached my ears and I'm sending you to go to them, to deliver them. It is then as we go through the book of Exodus that God delivers his people and that those who had now um, put God's people into slavery are now gone away with And it is now later through the book of Exodus where we see finally, and then going into Joshua, where God's people enter into the land through Joshua. And now our story gets interesting because it is here now where God's people are now in the land. They are now where God has told them they are going to go. And we now see a rich and prosperous Israel in Judah are taking the lands that God has given to his people. The rich are coming into the land and they are taking from the helpless middle class their land, everything that they have. And it is because of this oppression of the helpless middle class that the judgment of God will fall upon his people. As we go through Micah 2, as you're trying to get some framework, what is Micah 2 trying to have us understand? We can understand all of Micah 2 simply through this, a love of self over the love of one's neighbor. So as we go through our text today, if you can see that God is coming against his covenant people because they are choosing to love themselves over their neighbor, Now, as Tommy mentioned last week, as we go through the book of Micah, we're going to see words such as oppression. We're going to see words such as power. Make sure that as we are going through this, that we let Micah's context be our context. Let us not draw a straight line to the current things we are going through as our culture is starting to wrestle, but let us let Micah speak in his own context as we go. And so now this leads us to our very first point as we see the judgment against God's people. We see here in Micah 2, verses 1 through 2. Look with me, look at what he says. He says, Woe to those who devise wickedness and work evil on their beds. When the morning dawns, they perform it because it is in the power of their hand. They covet fields. And seize them in houses and take them away. They oppress a man and his house, a man and his inheritance. Notice the very first word that the prophet uses. The prophet says the word woe. This is a common word that the prophets will use, both major and minor prophets, to introduce judgment for what God's people have done. We see in verse two that God's people are coming in and they are seizing lands, they are taking houses, they are taking lands that have been given to God's people. It is ironic that it says in verse one, when the morning dawns, they perform it. It was in the near ancient East where they would hold the courts in the morning because it was the idea that as the morning sun came up, it would dispel all of the darkness of the evil acts that were done in the night and that In the courts, that's where justice would come just as the sun rose. And yet God's people purposefully are going into the courts and perverting justice with all of the power that they have. They are literally making a mockery of the court system. And one commentator says, it was in this farming economy where a man's life and freedom depended on owning them. Deprived of them, he may at best become a day laborer, or at worst, he may become a slave. So this isn't just some type of little injustice. Literally, the rich are taking houses, and men are not able to provide for their very own families, The rich in Israel and Judah were directly violating the commandments that God had given them. The eighth commandment tells us that thou shalt not steal. They violated the 10th commandment, which was that we were not to covet your neighbor's house. God's people were failing to love one's neighbor as God's law had simply commanded them to. Now today, in 2021, you're sitting here and you're thinking, Matt, that's, that's not me. I, I'm not in jeopardy of taking someone's house. That's, it's never been in my wheelhouse. But, but church, how do you talk to those below you perhaps at work? How, how do you talk to the, the receptionist or the janitor that comes to, to clean your office area? Or, or, or how about ministry leaders here, even at our own church? Do you use your power for selfish gain or manipulation? Unfortunately, it is not hard in the day we live in to see abusive pastors abusing their sheep instead of loving them. This is why here at Castleton Community Church, we strive to be a congregational church that not only puts the power in the leaders, but also in the hands of the church. And so what Micah is wanting us to ask ourselves, what what Micah is telling us in these beginning verses is he's wanting us to ask this simple question. In the position that you and I are in, whether it's our job, school we attend, place we live, wealth that we may have, the people that we know, are we using our position in life to encourage those around us, or are we simply using our position to manipulate people purely for selfish gain? In an article from the Smithsonian, it showed how Thomas Edison discovered over 10,000 ways on how not to make a light bulb. Not one. One not two, not 333, over 10,000 ways Thomas Edison found on how not to make a light bulb. And it is in our text today where we see just one of the 10,000 ways that you and I can abuse one's neighbor. Our text is showing us that our heart has this problem. It doesn't lean towards the love of one's neighbor. But it leans towards how can I use my neighbor to get what I want? How can I use my neighbor not to love them, but to get what I truly want? That's all Micah is wanting us to wrestle with this morning. And so it is in verses 3 through 5 where we see God says this. He says, therefore, because of the evil practices that God's people have done, therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, against this family I am devising disaster from which you cannot remove your necks, and you shall not walk haughtily, for it will be a time of disaster. God is, as Tommy mentioned last week, God is going to send Assyria to Israel, and they are going to come in, and Babylon, many years later, is going to come into Jerusalem as judgment, We see here that God's main aim in his correction is to help them that they will not walk haughtily, but that they will walk in the ways they were commanded to. As we finish the book of Exodus, we see that God in the book of Deuteronomy continues to give us what we call the covenant blessings and the covenant curses. God says, if you will walk before me, if you will walk in my ways, if you will follow me, if you will be the light to the nations that I've commanded you, I will do this and I will do that. And we see all of these blessings that God will give to his people. But yet it is also in the book of Deuteronomy we see God says, but if you will follow the other nations, if you will depart from the path, that I will lay the covenant curses upon you. And so it is in verses three through five, where we now see the covenant curses for which God told his people is now coming home. Deuteronomy twenty-eight thirty-six says, the Lord will bring you and your king whom you set over you to a nation that neither you nor your father's. Have known. And it is as we read the book of Jeremiah, and as we will later see uh, the book of Lamentations, and in fact in the book of Daniel, where we see that God's people are carried off into exile. And can you imagine being in Judah and hearing this and then reading verse 4? You've heard the judgment. You've heard what God is saying to you and now God tells you this in verse four. Look at what he says. He says, in that day, they shall take up a taunt song against you and moan bitterly and say, we are utterly ruined. He changes the portion of my people, how he removes it from me. To an apostate, he allots our fields. It's like, I remember back in my days of high school and it seems as as time is going on, it's hard to remember those days. But I remember, for example, when we would play Ben Davis or Brownsburg and we hated them. Man, I'm telling you, those games were intense. We wanted to beat them crazy. And I, I can imagine if, if we would have lost to one of those teams and they would have walked off singing our school song, like Avon Orioles, if you would have sang our song, it would have been intense. You don't do that, that's our song. And, and what God is saying is he's saying, In that day, when they carry you off, they're going to require of you songs to sing. In fact, Psalm 137 gives us a picture of what was it that God's people did when they were carried off. Psalm 137, 1 through 3 says this. By the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept. When we remembered Zion, on the willows, there we hung up our leers. For there, listen, our captors required of us songs. And our tormentors, mirth saying, sing us one of the songs of Zion. They're saying, sing us one of those songs you used to sing in Zion. Remember when you used to, like, sing us one of those songs. Can you imagine being God's people hearing this and saying, this is what God is going to do when he judges us. The judgment that God is bringing upon his covenant people is screaming to us that God truly cares the way we treat one another. This is his covenant people that he has brought out and the rich are oppressing the poor middle class. And God is saying, I deeply, deeply care how you treat the poor. And he's saying, I care so much that exile is going to be your future. Verse 5 shows us that God says, therefore, you will have none to cast a lot by the lot in the assembly of the Lord. God is saying, no more of these games where the rich come in and you go to the courts and you see what you can do. He says, no, no, we're going to cut that and we're going to stop these games and judgment is going to come. And perhaps if you're like me, you're thinking, man, God, this kind of seems harsh. Are you having a bad day? Have you not had your Starbucks yet? Lord, like what? What's, what's, what's going on? But we would be helped if we listened to D.A. Carson's words as he says, it is a mercy when God exposes our sin. When God speaks to us and convicts us of our sin, it is a mercy. And yet, though it is a tender mercy of God to correct and discipline his people, we see in our next section in verses 6 through 11, the deafness of God's people to the coming judgment, which leads us to our second point, the rebellion of God's people. So now we hear God has spoken judgment. He has said judgment is going to come because what the rich have been doing to the poor middle class, because they've been taking lands. And now we see judgment has come. And now we get a response What do God's people think about this? Are they responsive? Do they take it as serious? Look at what verse six says. They say, do not preach thus they preach. One should not preach of such things. God's people are saying, Micah, Preach whatever you wanna preach. Tell us about God's love. Tell us about God's mercy. Tell us how God goes out for their enemies. But Micah, whatever you do, do not tell us that God exposes and judges sin. Preach whatever you want, but do not tell us that God is going to judge us and he's gonna take us to a place that our fathers didn't know. Micah, don't preach this. And so Micah has a sermon. God's people have a sermon, and there's two sermons going on. Look at what, the, look at how the NET translates verse seven. The Lord's patience can't be exhausted. He would never do such things. God's people. like the infamous Muhammad Ali doing the rope-a-dope. They are ducking and dodging and avoiding all that God is saying to them. Church, let us get into our bones as the Apostle Paul would say later in Romans 2, 4. God's kindness is meant to lead us to repentance. God's delay of his judgment towards sin is is not meant to lead us to squandering sin, but it's meant to lead us to turn away from it. Church, no matter how hard it is, no matter how much your flesh hates it, when God convicts us of sin, it's a mercy. I know our flesh doesn't like it. I know it hurts. I know it doesn't feel good, but meditate. What is God communicating to me right now? And repent. Because as we're seeing now, God's people have received the judgment. They hear what God is saying, and they're saying, God, we're not going to listen. Micah, preach whatever you're going to preach. We'll listen to your sermons. But as soon as you start speaking that God judges sin, I'm not listening. Truly, week after week, month after month here at Castleton Community Church, when Tommy leads us, what he is doing is he's showing us who God is. Is theology literally is the study of what God is like. I brought a little friend with me today, my little Plato man that Roger made for us. And sometimes, <laughs> sometimes I think that when we come to the God of the Scriptures, we, we 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 here's what we do: we we bring and we say, God, I want you to look like this. In fact, no, 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 God, I want you to. I want you to be, be more like this. We think that we can mold God into the picture of what we want him to be like. But but what Mike is saying is, look, God is God. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. God does not change. And so when his word comes to us, we cannot mold him and duck and dodge and close our ears. We have to come humbly and listen to what the character and nature of God is like. And God is saying, if you abuse your neighbor, judgment will come to you. And so it is now in verses eight through nine where now we see, we get a a closer look, maybe a, a magnifying glass is now showing us what it is that God's people are actually doing. Look at what verses eight through nine says. It says, but lately my people have risen up as an enemy. You strip the rich robe from those who pass by trustingly with no thought of war. The women of my people you drive out from their delightful houses, from their young children, you take away my splendor forever. The rich are literally taking the clothes off of the backs of the helpless. They are driving out families from the houses that God gave them. You can imagine a family Maybe a four, a mom, and a dad, and the children. And the children saying, but I thought God gave us these lands. I I thought like the whole exodus was to take us to a land flowing of milk and honey and that God was going to take care of us. And so what God is saying is you take away my splendor. You make it seem as if my covenant promises to my people are invalid and that I cannot be trusted. We look at a verse like Psalm 55, 12 through 13 that really helps us get in a context of the severity of what God's people have done. The psalmist says, for it is not an enemy who taunts me, then I could bear it. It's not an adversary who deals with insolently with me, then I could hide from him. But it is you, a man, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend, you think of how great it was watching the Exodus event of seeing Pharaoh and all of the enemies be washed out and like thinking you, you've suffered together with your fellow Israelites. And, and now your familiar friend, the one whom you, you've labored with, you've walked with, is taking you to court and is literally making you homeless. Homeless. It, it, it's, it's not a, a racial thing that's happening here in our text. This is Judeans on Judeans. This is Israelites upon Israelites. So again, we see this is something of the human heart that they're doing to their familiar people that they know. And so we see in our text that today, if you have been exploited or hurt by your neighbor or abused by those in the church, that God truly cares. Know that we serve a God who sees and who will ultimately in the end judge the wicked. That he, he, he won't let the injustices go. That God sees, God sits in his throne room. As the psalmist says, do I not have ears? Do I not see? And so it is in verses 10 through 11, where now that we've seen what God's people have been doing, that God says finally, arise and go from this place. For this is no place of rest. Exile is your future because of the uncleanness that destroys with the grievous destruction. And verse 11 really shows us where God's people's heart is at when he says, if a man should go about in utter wind and lies saying, I will preach to you of wine and strong drink, he would be a preacher for his people. We see, unfortunately, just as the New Testament will tell us that God's people can become so callous can become so perverted in their thinking that they just want itching ears. They want a teacher to preach to them the very things that they want. And yet Micah shows us that God's people need a true preacher. That, that, that God's people need one who will not tickle their ears. But God's people need someone who will, t- who will speak the truth of their unrepentant sin and that if they will not turn to him, that it will lead to everlasting judgment. God's people need someone who can hear the worst things about them, that if they hear the judgment for which God has called upon them, that that this preacher can hear the worst things about them and receive them. And this is exactly what leads us to our third point, which is the restoration of God's people. Notice all throughout our text today, we have seen the righteous judgment against the rich and the lack of their love towards the neighbor. Yet, isn't it interesting as you look at verses 12 through 13, all throughout God has been coming and he's been judging his people and he's been showing what they've been doing. And yet here in verses 12 through 13, we don't get a transition. We don't get God to say, wait a minute. We just see God just breaks out into this and look at what he says. I will surely assemble all of you, O Jacob. I will gather the remnant of Israel. I will set them together like a sheep in a fold, like a flock in its pasture, a noisy multitude of men. He who opens the breach goes up before them. They break through and pass the gate going out by it. Their king passes on before them, the Lord at their head. Do you notice the repetitive pronoun in these verses? I. God is the one who will assemble his people. God is the one who will gather his people to himself. God is the one who breaks through the gate and leads his sheep to himself. Yet how does God gather not only the the wicked, but how does he also gather the righteous who will turn to him? And it is in the person and work of Christ where we see not the love of self over neighbor, but we see the love of neighbor over self so that Christ may bring us to God. It is in the meekness of our Lord. And when we talk about meekness, meekness is not the same thing as weakness. Meekness is power under control. So it is here in the coming of Jesus himself, where we see as Philippians 2 will say, who did not use his power. He he did not use it as something to be grasped. So here we see the God man Christ, the strong, laying down his life for the weak and sinful. Brothers and sisters, if you and I truly believe in the finished work of the cross, if as my Glee Club director used to say, Matt, when we sing, we sing not only from our head, but Matt, we got to sing from our heart too. If the gospel gets from our head and actually gets down to our heart and we actually start to process this thing of what is it that God has actually done in the personal work of Christ? If the gospel actually gets down into our hearts, then we see that we don't have to use our position in life to manipulate our neighbor. Because as Jesus said in Matthew 5, 5, the meek shall inherit the earth. So when I see my neighbor and when I have maybe a position over him or her, I don't have to use my power to get something when Jesus is saying, all of my children, you're not going to inherit this little land. You're not just going to get that. No, we shall inherit the earth. The gospel shows us that all is God's and that we don't have to manipulate something someone for something that you and I will get when Jesus returns. So I don't have to look at my neighbor and say how can I use you to get what I want, but I can say in the new heavens and in the new earth Jesus will give me all that I need in him. Not only does the gospel say that in Christ we have everything, but the gospel shows us more importantly that one day ultimately we will dwell with him on the earth. Micah 2:12 through 13 is giving us an appetizer. It's giving us a foretaste. It is wetting our appetites for what the book of Revelation will say so much louder in Revelation 21, 3 through 4, as it simply says this. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Praise God. Our good and gentle shepherd is going to gather us to himself. And so it is, church, that perhaps today there are some of us who have been deeply hurt by our neighbor. And our hope this morning is that one day God will wipe away all of our tears. He will heal us from the deepest heartaches, and we will personally dwell with him forever. Perhaps today there are some of us in this room sitting who we have hurt our neighbor and we need to repent and we need to turn to God. And our hope this morning is that God will forgive us and that though we are sinful, God will gather us to himself and we will dwell with him forever. And if you are here today and you realize your inability To cure yourself from your own sin if you'd say you know i'm i'm not a a christ follower in fact matt i haven't only failed to love my neighbor i failed to honor god there's there's a whole list Matt. like how long do you guys have for me to just rehearse to you all the ways that i've fallen short well then perhaps maybe today is your day where you can finally say lord i want to join you and i want to put my faith and trust in you then today You can look forward that you will dwell with us and you will dwell with him forever. See how the gospel changes the way that we relate to neighbor. Not that now I need to manipulate, but Jesus shows how you and I can love one's neighbor. Let us pray, church.